0: I think at a fundamental level, it's about community control, community self-determination, and our ability to own our own means of communication.
1: Welcome to Episode 414 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Jess Fiaco, Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today Christopher talks with Scott Rasmussen of NYC Mesh. NYC Mesh is a volunteer-driven, high-quality wireless network that stretches across three boroughs of New York City. Scott explains that much of New York doesn't have good internet access and talks about why NYC Mesh is a good model for expanding internet access to low-income populations. Scott also notes how excited people are to finally have an affordable community option and how inspired people get about these issues when they realize they can build their own network. Now here's Christopher talking with Scott Rasmussen of NYC Mesh.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm here talking with Scott Rasmussen, an organizer with NYC Mesh. Welcome to the show, Scott.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Chris.
2: I'm excited to, to turn, learn more about uh, what's going on in, in New York City with uh, this mesh project. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, you're an interesting guy. You've got a lot of opportunities to do different things. Why are you such a fan of breathable fabrics? You know,
0: it dates back to my early early work in the fashion industry and uh, <laughs> it really took off from there um no my 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 interest in nyc mesh really i think stems from years of working on capitol hill um i worked for 5 years doing telecommunications policy um as an advisor to members of congress and really got kind of an insider's view of kind of, I think a lot of the fights that go on with the FCC between Congress and all the big picture kind of discussions that happen on the Hill, um, was there on the Hill when that neutrality was repealed and a host of other sorts of major actions, some of which were great under Chairman Wheeler and many of which were quite terrible under uh, our, our current chairman of the FCC. Um, But what I learned in a lot of that and what I felt often is that there's a lot of talk going on, a lot of letters being written, a lot of letters being shredded, and not much action to actually serve people. Um, And upon moving to New York City a little over two years ago, started trying to just search out opportunities to become involved in local broadband advocacy and understanding the lay of the land. And NYC Mesh was an organization that's pretty much one of the only organizations I really know of in the city that's entirely focused on bridging the digital divide, on trying to make real change for real people and their communities on the ground. Um, and I found that inspiring um, so often in kind of our activism and the work that we do, it's posting on social media or writing letters or hoping that some legislation may get passed. And those are all great things to be doing, but there's something really satisfying that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure in my work of being able to get on somebody's rooftop and connect somebody to online for the first time and explain to them that actually our service, if you will, our community network doesn't require any kind of monetary contribution if you don't want to. Um, So we're really kind of focused on, getting our hands dirty, doing the work on the ground to make real change at a local level. And and that's what keeps me inspired.
2: I really wanted to um, to make sure we we touched on this. Um, how excited people get! This is something different in terms of of a, a locally owned mesh network that is driven by the community. Um, you and I met in Waimanalo and Hawaii, and in terms of uh, the um, the Indigenous Connectivity Summit run by the Internet Society, and um, and I and I was just taken away at how inspired people are. And I, I was curious if, if, you know, is that something, does it ever get old when you work with someone and someone new volunteers and you're on their roof and they just start really getting into it?
0: Not at all. I've, I've probably done, oh gosh, 30, 40 maybe more installations uh, during my time with NYC mesh. And it is, it is a pleasure each and every time. Um, you know, it is so rare in our world I find that you can get people inspired and excited about telecommunications and the policies that exist there. And everybody, everybody has their feelings about the big telcos, um, but the conversation usually ends there. Um, and this is a this is an opportunity to take the conversation further and further in a direction that makes people feel empowered to make change. And and there's nothing quite like it. And uh, it continues to inspire me every day. That's why I do the work.
2: So. Regarding NYC Mesh and Mesh more generally, uh, uh, Mesh is sometimes used for different meanings. And so can you just explain what is meant by the Mesh part of NYC Mesh?
0: Yeah, I think that that's an accurate depiction. A lot of folks have a different interpretation of what Mesh is, and sometimes it's technical and sometimes it's political in terms of uh, how you're kind of defining it. Very much so. We're trying to build a resilient localized network and we really employ any technology that's appropriate to be able to do so. Um, mesh is kind of referring to a series of interconnected antennas or nodes on a network that where it's decentralized, I suppose. So if one node goes down, there's other ways that internet traffic or your communications can kind of get around from point to point. It's it's largely the kind of theory being a decentralized network. And so we take a lot of that same thinking and network theory to the New York's landscape. And to just give a very real example of how kind of mesh may play out at a local scale and networks of that nature. Um, New York city has a ton of tall buildings in it. And one of your neighbors may be able to see a local hub or a local, we call them hubs. It's kind of a, you know, your, your neighborhood way to connect online and you have a little antenna on your rooftop that may connect to that hub, but you may not, you may have a large building in your way. And because so much of our technology depends on line of sight, You may be able to see your neighbor, but you can't see the local hub. So we try to create these very local networks that are deeply interconnected using kind of mesh technology, mesh antennas um, to be able to kind of get around these various obstacles that we may have on our on our city landscapes.
2: One of the one of the directions I want to take this, we're going to come back and, and I think pick up at a couple of different points about what this is, but just so so people have a better sense. Um, if I want to join uh, NYC Mesh, uh, what do I do and what do I get?
0: So we're a community network, and I think it's important to say that up front. Um, we're not an ISP, and we really try to be intentional about that. And we can talk a little bit later about what that means, but we really think that there's some fundamental differences um, but as a member of our community, as somebody who wants to get online utilizing NYC Mesh, essentially all you do is go to, your, go to our website, nycmesh.net. You fill out a small join form. Um, we actually have a line of sight tool that allows folks, as soon as you put your address in, to figure out whether you have a line of sight to any hub in our neighborhood. And that basically means if you were to put an antenna up on your roof or outside your window, can you actually see part of our network? Is there a way that you could reasonably connect to us? Um, If you can, then we will kind of start a back and forth with you. Um, Again, I want to clarify that we're all volunteers. So when I say we, it just means probably one of your neighbors or somebody in another borough of the city. Um, you know, not kind of like a service person, you know, paid serv- customer service representative or something like that. We'll look at you. We'll have a back and forth, and you'll have the opportunity to be able to schedule an install. Our installs, we try to ask everybody if they're able to afford it to try to reimburse our organization for the cost of the equipment, the antennas they may put up, an indoor router, things like that. Um, We don't turn anybody away. We think that the internet really is for everybody and that cost should not be an impediment to joining. So after a small back and forth to make sure that you kind of have a line of sight and have the ability to connect, uh, you'll schedule a date and a team of volunteers, usually two, three, maybe even four people will come by and work with you for two or three hours to do a home install, get you set up online. And from there on out, you uh, have high speed home Internet access using NYT Mesh. We also have kind of the ability to participate in our network. Um, So we try to host services within our network or find other neat ways to be able to use our network to build community, build kind of neighborhood communities so that, you know, you can use Mesh even if you don't have access to the global internet to be able to communicate with some of your neighbors or folks that may be nearby. Most folks use it for uh, day-to-day internet access. Um, We ask everybody when they join if they're able to afford it. To contribute twenty dollars a month, um, that kind of just keeps the lights on for you know rental on some of our roofs, um, subsidizes installs for other folks. hundred um, percent of those those donations are reinvested in our network. But if folks can't afford the twenty dollars a month, that's fine too. Um, we don't turn anybody away. Actually, during uh, COVID right now, because so many folks are losing their job in the city, it's it's almost every day that we're getting emails from people saying, "Hey, I was recently laid off." or I'm no longer working right now, you know, I, I need to cancel my donation. And it's sad as it is to say, I suppose it's really nice to be on the receiving end of those emails at times because we got to respond. That's not a problem at all. It's not going to interrupt your service. It doesn't make any difference to us whether you donate or not. We really hope that you'll, things will look better for you in the future and maybe you'll be able to contribute again. But, you know, in the near term, uh, you have other priorities in life and we want you to be able to focus on those.
2: Some of the community mesh networks in the past have been ones in which uh, people would maintain a cable or a fiber connection and they would sort of contribute that bandwidth to the pool but that's not what you do right
0: you know that does occur in certain instances it is we have the discussion about it anytime that may be occurring um mostly because we really want to build our own network that's our mission and goal it's not kind of sharing Verizon's network um there are ways you know that Somebody may come to our network with an existing connection and try to offer it up and we may utilize it. But the kind of long term goal and the transition is to eventually empower that person to be able to completely cut the cord and their relationship with their ISP and, you know, be a part of our network.
2: And, and then one other thing that popped up when you were speaking earlier, you said someone from another borough might be answering the call. And, and I think a lot of people would assume that this is something that exists in a neighborhood and a borough. Uh, how, how wide does it go?
0: So we're right now largely in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, We're working towards a really big expansion into the Bronx right now. You know, some of our longer connections are a couple of miles. It it expands across a decent amount of of New York City. We have a map online that you can take a look at.
2: Excellent. So in, in in doing a little bit of background to make sure I wasn't totally ignorant as I asked you questions, um, I came across three bullets that I just loved that describe uh, NYC Mesh. And that is our connection speed isn't artificially throttled to hike the price. Our data isn't spied on or sold by corporate creeps. And uh, my favorite, frankly, is we don't pay into the cable cartel, which means we don't fund their lobbying, advertising, lawyers, executive salaries, bonuses, and dividends, <laughs> which I, I I quite like that. I mean, it gives you a sense, like, not only is this something you're participating in that's community, it's a reminder that the rest of us really are, you know, forging the chains of our own uh, domination. So every, every volunteer
0: in NYC Mesh and every organizer comes with a, a different set of ideas about why they're doing this work, um, but you know one thing that I do recall and think about every single time I put a antenna on somebody else's roof, especially when it's somebody who you know may have existing service through an ISP, is uh, at the end of the day that's probably six hundred, eight hundred dollars less in the pocket of some major isp in new york city
2: and and actually i I forgot to note it's an important comparison but um again historically i feel like um 10 years ago the the mesh wi-fi that we saw uh which was primarily wi-fi based mesh at that time uh was was typically you know slow enough that you'd struggle to stream netflix as it came out and and things like that but you're talking about uh connectivity that can handle much more significant loads
0: Yeah. You know, when we do a site survey at a new install, you know, we'll kind of set up and talk through a new member, you know, show them what kind of anticipated speeds we have by pointing an antenna and getting a good idea for it. Um, If it's anything less than 25 down, you know, we'll typically say before forewarned, this may not be, you know, the ideal solution for you. Um, But speeds on our network typically range much higher than 50 down and, and above
2: and I think the greatest fear that I have about this approach, and, and frankly, the reason I haven't done more to raise it up, um, is that I, I worry about reliability. Um, and, and it may be wrong because I know that this, this gear actually is very reliable, even without, um, you know, people being paid to sit on it constantly. Um, but I worry that, that when something happens, you're relying on volunteers to get it back up. And so I'm curious if you can give me a sense of what it's like, but also you might just remind people that the New York City cable and Verizon fios isn't necessarily rock solid either so it's a it might be a situation where you don't have to be the fastest person in the world but you do have to run faster than the than the person you're with to outrun the bear
0: yeah i think i think it is a combination of both to be entirely honest um, to give an example to your latter point um, my partner lives in brooklyn and received notice has has service through verizon uh, received notice that uh, her internet would be cut off for three to six months because of a series of of kind of repairs that were being done in her neighborhood. Um, <laughs> wow. So that, you can just imagine that notice. And, and in many communities of New York City, um, it is not uncommon to have only one or two internet service providers. We, I think lots of folks have the maybe maybe misconception that New York City is the as the quote unquote center of the world has you know this incredible choice of ISPs that everybody can choose from most in New York City is served by two ISPs um, it's it's rare and only limited communities have three or, or more choices so it's really not kind of the Every market, you know, every you got you have your choice in any you want kind of situation. Um, but to your earlier point about reliability, it's a great point And it's something that we struggle with regularly. As I was describing earlier, the excitement of installing an antenna on somebody's roof is is pays dividends, it makes me smile, makes me feel great about the work that we're doing. Um, responding to somebody's inquiry about why their Wi-Fi isn't working is is less inspirational work, <laughs> um, and it's it's often trying to find walk that ground between you know what it means to be a community network, and how to challenge and change that kind of customer. ISP relationship and how we can rethink that through more kind of community engagement and education and trying to have local digital stewards on the block. So we're constantly trying to think about ways to, to change that relationship and to be more responsive and make sure that we're being quick. Um, I can say that we have a pretty incredible dedicated team of volunteers at this point that the moment that you get a kind of service request in You know, it'll be minutes likely before somebody's responding and working to troubleshoot. And we do a lot of work trying to get very active volunteers in any neighborhood so that if somebody does, in fact, have to show up to your house to be able to do some of the work or to a neighborhood hub that serves you, that we can have somebody there, you know, in a matter of hours, um, if if not a day. So we've been incredibly successful. On that front, uh, we're always trying to improve and do better. Um, Luckily, a lot of the work can be done remotely and that's just kind of i guess changes in technology and then when it has to be done in in person it's a lot more about trying to just make sure we're constantly improving the equipment that we have so so that it you know is more reliable more storm resistant more whatever it is
2: if my greatest concern is reliability i have to say that my greatest fascination and, and interest is is something you alluded to earlier which are services that are only available in network um that things that you're doing locally that you know i as someone who Um, outside the network would not be able to see I mean I think a lot of people still think of the internet means that um, you know I can connect any computer I want from where I am but it means that I can get into any network that allows me to to get into it really and you can do things on your local network there that um, would be private and I'm curious what you use that for. It is not
0: the most used aspect of it, simply because I think you have to be a slightly more tech-savvy person, as you're you're mentioning, to be aware of it. But uh, folks do host services on it. Um, We're trying to move a lot of our kind of service, our own kind of organizational stuff, onto our network so that we're not hosting it outside of our network. So that when there is a ticketing request, let's say, on service, that that's actually hosted entirely in our network. So we're not depending on... On the outside the internet, um, there are some certain certainly some benefits to that. Um, one uh, Hurricane Sandy shut off a lot of telecommunications networks in New York City. Um, some mesh networks were the only ones that that kind of survived. so our ability to operate as a you know resilient with respect to kind of natural disasters and all of that network really does depend on our ability to host services inside. But also, uh, you know, allows people to be able to communicate to each other about things that are happening in their neighborhood or things locally that may be going on and and kind of try to build community that way. I think we really see it as an opportunity to try to, as I mentioned, try to build community, bring people together, have people kind of test things out, play around with new ideas and really be an incubator for things that they'd like to take to the next level.
2: Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I, I feel like, I guess, in some ways, the makerspace Revolution um, is slower than I thought it might be, you know, as we go back to enthusiastic hopes um, i don 't know five ten years ago and uh, but nonetheless there's enthusiasm here and there's i I think I was wrong in terms of not recognizing more of the promise and that people want to get involved with this stuff it 's not rocket science um, and it 's something that really can help people um, you know develop that curiosity that we need for innovation and to have a really vibrant uh, community. I think
0: I really agree. I mean, we, a, a huge amount of our work is, is obviously maintaining our network, but the other big chunk is education and outreach. I, for example, am not a technical person. Two years ago, I could not have told you anything about installing an antenna or any of the technical aspects of monitoring and maintaining a network Um, And have really learned those skills. And we try to share that with everybody. We do some collaborations with local libraries on how to build your own Internet. But it's a theory that hopefully we can teach folks here and then they can go home, work with us to get an antenna and then get Internet access to us. And that that's an incredible partnership where somebody can Discover, learn new things, exercise their curiosity, develop some of their skills, but at the end of the day, also walk away with an incredibly useful and tangible uh, thing. Getting being able to get online, uh, you know, every day.
2: So if I was to, I mean, I feel like we've just spent you know, 20 minutes talking about all the different ways in which this is, it's fascinating. It's incredibly useful. It's something that's needed and, and helpful. Um, but if I was just to ask you for, you know, sort of the elevator pitch answer of why is it important for something like uh, NYC Mesh to exist?
0: I think at a fundamental level, it's about Community control, community self-determination, and our ability to own our own means of communication. I think more and more what I see in the world around us and what's going on really screams to me the importance of being able to have a say and an ability to be able to communicate with others through a means that, that we kind of collectively own and collectively talk about and have an ability to be able to manage and control. And so I think that that's kind of at, the, at a very fundamental level, the work that we're trying to do is empowering folks to be able to own their means of communication. Um, and at one point that may have been the postal service, and we made a lot of choices. I I know I don't have to tell you about municipal networks and the importance <laughs> of kind of muni- municipal-owned broadband, but I think that this is a different kind of model. And, and it's I think of us as being part of a kind of a laboratory of experiments Um, on ways to be able to deliver broadband and that there's a lot that can be offered through this kind of grassroots community led approach that is different. It kind of creates a different place and opportunity for folks to be able to engage and and how they communicate with others.
2: I'd really like to see a municipal fiber network embrace this. And um, there's populations. I mean, especially in in states that have laws that make it hard for municipal networks to serve uh, low income folks by restricting what prices they can offer. Um, Tennessee and Iowa are two states that do that. Uh, it would be really great if we saw municipal networks basically saying, you know. Know what we'll take care of the backhaul for you, we'll keep it affordable, and, and we're going to support you rolling out uh, these networks, um, you know, in, in particularly in low income areas. I
0: completely agree. I think the idea of community control, and one thing we've looked at, uh, New York City released the New York City Internet Master Plan, and it had a lot of these ideas that we're talking about kind of a municipal health kind of common backhaul. Or a common network that other folks can be able to tap into. Um, but one thing that I didn't see in that report was much about local community control and input. And I really think that that's where a lot of community networks have a lot to offer. That last mile approach that you know allows communities to be able to control what what connectivity um, in their neighborhood or area looks like. And to your point exactly, I think there's an incredibly synergistic. Um, relationship that it could occur between municipalities and community networks to be able to build out that last mile uh, connectivity.
2: Now you have some interesting projects going on. And I'm, I'm curious if um, I want to steer you in the direction of the affordable housing project that you're working on. But in the meantime, um, I'm I'm curious if the demographics of your network um, are, are varied significantly? Is there a lot of diversity? Or is it really a lot of, you know, white guys like you and I that are just sort of technical that like playing around? You have a sense of, of who makes up your user base?
0: Yeah, it has changed dramatically over the last five years. Um, To go through a a kind of brief organizational history, we really started in 2014, 2015. And at that time, it really was kind of a bunch of guys, bunch of white guys playing around with routers and figuring out ways to interconnect and other sorts of interesting networking ideas. Um, And it's grown incredibly since then. In 2016, we developed our first kind of super node, which is kind of our ability to be able to broadcast internet um and connected to a internet exchange point, which is really kind of the founding of our you know modern day NYC mesh as it is. Um, And our mission even since then has evolved significantly to being a lot more focused on the digital divide, which has led to a lot more recruitment and trying to empower people of color, women, folks who are not traditionally represented in tech, um, and having a mission that we're trying to seek out folks who don't have an existing internet connection, um, who have fallen through the cracks of our current system and find ways to get them connected. So certainly... It is still very much a white male tech space, but we've made, I think, huge strides in the last couple of years to really try to try to change that and try to attack that head on and find ways to be able to empower folks locally. I mean, that's, I think, a huge asset that we have when I'm talking about co- local community control is it's really about trying to empower folks locally to do that and not every neighborhood in New York City looks the same and we need to be able to foster you know, community control that that reflects the diversity of the folks who uh, who are being served
2: in this effort to connect affordable housing. Now, it seems I don't know, if, uh, as someone who again is is, more, is still learning about NYC Mesh, um, it seems like something that's sort of different in some ways because you're not just working with uh, a family, um, you know, in a building. Um, is it different, and what exactly are you doing to connect affordable housing?
0: We have a a number of projects ongoing and in New York to kind of connect with uh, affordable housing developers as well as NYCHA, which is the public housing authority here in the city. Um, And each project looks slightly different. So it's somewhat hard to kind of generalize, but for the most part, our goal is to provide a basic layer of connectivity, So, and particularly in a lot of buildings here in the city. Um, A lot of affordable housing developments are pretty old buildings, they may not have internal wiring. So the idea of building out a fiber connection to every single apartment in the building can be quite the undertaking at first. Um, So usually what we're looking at is, okay, how can we connect all of the common areas to begin? How can we connect the grounds, common areas? places where people congregate, where at least you can get a basic connection. And then how do we expand from there? So that may be kind of phase one. And then phase two may be, okay, let's talk about Wi-Fi access points in the hallways and get some level of penetration into individual apartments or units. And then phase three, ultimately, let's talk about trying to wire the building differently. Um, So that's generally kind of the course of action that we've been trying to take. But it really looks somewhat different. For each and every building and we're just starting to be able to do this work and we're incredibly excited about it and just have a couple of test beds that we're looking forward to being able to show off in the coming weeks and months but um i think it'll be a growing uh opportunity for us to learn
2: is one of your biggest challenges just finding power where you need it where you want to put an antenna it can be a challenge
0: it, for the most part we've been able to make it work um, and all I say light posts you know are great opportunities uh those those may be on the ground um, uh larger developments rooftops generally have a radio room or an elevator shaft or something we can try to tap into so, so there 's a, a usually a host of, of of possibilities, but it can be a challenge there's no doubt about that. we spend a lot of time crawling around on rooftops and places like that to try to figure out where we can get power from.
2: And so I think the last thing I want to leave with is just noting that this is a model that you're helping to export. Uh, Baltimore is a place that we're seeing this pop up. Um, You know, we've certainly seen Detroit taking their own approach in a lot of ways, but this is something that, that people may be able to plug into something that's already happening or they could try and start it afresh in their community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, we really focused on trying to do that. If you visit nycmesh.net, um, you can see information and documentation on every single thing we do. Um, we really make an effort to be transparent exactly because we want to export this model and talk to other folks about how they can implement it in their communities. Um, it's going to look different. In every community, uh, particularly if it's a rural community, if it's an urban community, if it's low income, if it's whatever it is, your community will look different than, than ours here in New York City. Um, just as every neighborhood in our city looks different and needs a slightly different approach, but, um, we try to develop resources of what we've done and what we've done wrong and uh, try to coach folks to how they can, how they can make something happen in their own, in their own backyard.
2: Well, Scott, thank you so much for, for coming on, for doing the work you're doing. It's, uh, it's wonderful. Great. Well, thanks so much, Chris.
1: That was Christopher talking with Scott Rasmussen of NYC Mesh. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at medianetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at medianetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow communitynetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arna Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 414 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.